0: Is anybody kind of sad just from the music? Yeah, that, like, that music got me. Um, Alan, could you hit the lights for me, buddy? I appreciate that. So uh, I obviously, we're in a series called Collapse, a walk through the Book of Lamentations. Before this study, I had never done any significant study on the Book of Lamentations. Um, and so I just want to recap with you for just a second what we're doing is we're looking for hope and healing through these poems. And the book of Lamentations got its name um, from the very first word of the first chapter. It's also in the second chapter. And, And that word gets translated into English, how, but it gets translated in several other iterations into lament. And the expression how comes with all the anguish of how could this be? How could this have happened? How did we get here? It's full of anguish and despair and sadness and brokenness. And these poems in chapters 1 through 4, chapter 5 is different, but chapters 1 through 4 are written like a two-part reader's theater. There's the narrator and the lady Jerusalem who is the people of the city. So there's a narrator talking about what happened and a voice that is expressing the anguish that they felt happening within them. And and they're written like acrostics, you know, A, B, C, D. And so every stanza starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Obviously, it doesn't translate that way in English. But they're written that way for memory's sake. Because these poems were performed and used in worship settings, which is why every week up until this point, we've had someone reading expressively the poem to us out loud. And the idea being, if we don't first go through the sadness, we miss out. See, sometimes we walk into the church, we walk into an environment like this, and it's full of joy and hope and wonder and awe. And you're walking in, you're like, "Mm." and you're just dragging on the floor. Why? Because joy is only real after you've gone through the sadness. I say only real. Maybe it's not only real, but it's sometimes we need to travel through the sadness to find the depth of joy that is ours. And so, we've asked questions like the first week, we asked for God to see me, because that's what the writer says, see me. And we wrote down our plight and our problems, and we put it in the wailing wall, and we wailed. And and if you're watching online, we have a wall over there with paper stuffed in it. Um, And We wrote those prayers down, and we invited the God of the universe to see our plight and our condition. That broken relationship, that diagnosis, that tragedy, that flood, the fact that 30 people or more died from the latest hurricane, these are things that we can write down and express because if we don't give voice to it, it will crush us on the inside. And so, we invited God to see us. And then last week, we invited God to hear us, to hear our prayers. So, not only does God see our condition, but hear our heart. And the promise was not given in chapters 1 and 2. It ended kind of hopeless. But there's a shift in chapter 3 that happens So today, there's a shift, and I believe that this morning, someone is going to experience a breakthrough, a healed hurt, a peace that goes beyond understanding, a wound, a sadness, and a tragedy. I believe that this morning that God's Spirit wants to restore, redeem, and heal. And I, today, I want to invite each and every one of us to dare, to dare to hope. So that's the title of today's message, to dare to hope for healing, for restoration, and God's peace. So, if you're following along, um, some of these verses will be on the screen. Some of them won't. All of them are at wayfinders.info. You click on Kyle Community. um, You can click on Message Notes. You can write your own notes back to uh, yourself and email them later along with all the message notes that are there in a little bit more detail than what is on the screen. But starting in verse 1, it says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. I'm the one who's seen the afflictions. This is personal. Like, instead of the narrator starting out, this is what happened and it was shocking, it just jumps right into the gut. Have you ever been there where you're just, it you, doesn't matter what's going on, it, the only thing that comes out of your mouth is the problem, the sadness, the brokenness, and the frustration you're facing? And sometimes you don't even have words for it, and people are asking, like, how are you doing? Because they know you're experiencing it. And you're like, uh, um, I'm good. I, how do I answer this? And the writer of the poem says, I'm the one who's seen. It's, it's affliction. But check this. It's affliction. And where are they directing it? From God. From the Lord. That's interesting because we learn that laments come from all kinds of places, our own actions, the actions of others, sometimes nobody, and sometimes God. But the writer here starts out with, I can't even blame people. There's not enough people to blame. This obviously has to come deep from a place. And what is really interesting is he's picking up on this idea all the way back from Israel's greatest king. So, the scenario of Lamentations is the people have just become slaves, their country overtaken, the temple destroyed, and they've been taken off in captivity. And he's quoting all the way back to when Israel got their first great king, King David. And King David was having an anointing ceremony, and God, the, they quote this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, God says, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquities or when he commits uh, uh, brokenness or sins, I will discipline him with the rod of men. So God says, you know, your decisions are going to befall you. And the writer of Lamentation says, this isn't just no ordinary discipline. This isn't, this isn't just an ordinary calamity. This isn't just other people do. This this is so big, it has to be God. Man. Have you ever lived with pain long enough that you blame God? Where can we go from here? Because I'll be honest with you, there are moments... If I'm really lamenting the challenges, the hurts, the broken relationships, my own sin, my own shortcomings, things that I have said or done, things that other people have done to me, things that are happening in the world, if I'm really lamenting them, if I'm really giving voice to them, I can feel immediately trapped by them. Like there's no way out from underneath our despair, our sadness, our hurt, and our pain. Catch what the writer of Lamentations says, starting in verse 4. Just catch some of the imagery here. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. Did you catch the imagery there? Buried in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion, waiting to attack me. He dragged me off the path and tore me into pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows." Those are deep images. Someone lying, waiting to ambush you. Darkness, like you're buried like those long dead. I mean, these these are challenges. And sometimes I think if we don't give voice to what's wrong, it can trap us. It can trap us. And there are people, and I'm not just talking about like, uh, you know, clinical depression or anxiety, that's, that's something that we need real help with. But I think just in everyday life, if we don't give voice and expression to what's wrong, it can easily trap us like an eeyore just floating around like a cloud, and we have no way to feel like we can get past it or out of it. And the imagery of darkness versus light, it sounds like a prison. In fact, in verse 9, where the writer talks about these high stone walls. Um, the word for wall there is the word gazith. And it's like an impenetrable force field. Like the wall is so thick and so high, it, it's kind of where we get the idea of girth from. Like it's, this is so big, there's no way to get over it or through it or around it. Interestingly enough, if you know your Bible stories... Um, there's this character in the Old Testament named Joshua who fought a battle at a city called Jericho, which had really big walls. The way the walls are described of that city, that fortified city, is this word, gazith. And what happened to the walls of Jericho is that those who pursued obedience to the Lord saw the walls crumble. And so the writer of Lamentations is saying, you know that wall? It's so impenetrable. It's so large. It's like all the resources of the world are there to keep you on the other side of it. Maybe you feel like it's not a stationary wall. Maybe you're like that that scene from the very first Star Wars, A New Hope, where they fall down the chute, the trash compactor chute. If you've ever seen this, you know what happens is they start crunching the trash. And so the walls are about to literally crunch them like pancakes. Maybe you feel like that's the way the walls are moving, like you're in the trash compactor. What do we do when we don't have hope? When we feel like all is lost and there's no way out. It's difficult. Can I be really open with you guys about myself for a second? I often feel this way, that type of hopelessness, like no way out kind of hopeless, when I keep lament in and I don't express it. And I'm not often in touch with my feelings, so expressing any kind of thing that I'm going through is really, really challenging for me. Because I'm trying to win, I'm trying to overcome, I'm trying to make a change, I'm trying to understand what's going on all on my own. Anybody else like that out there? I can do it. Incidentally, when we say life together as a church... What we're talking about is you're not meant to do that alone. You're meant to invite people around you, and that's what this church community is to do for each other. We are supposed to be, and possibly, transparent enough and real enough to bring those things out into a safe space with each other. Maybe not everyone in the room, but someone in the room what is interesting is that the moment i do the moment i express it the moment i bring that lament about my soul about myself about my family about our world or our city all of a sudden the shared burdenness alleviates that trap there is a way out because the moment we express our hopelessness Our lack of strength invites the strength of others to pick us up. Essentially, the writer of Lamentations goes on to say that when we're trying to figure all of this life out by ourselves, it zaps us of our strength. Look at verse 18. I cry out, My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Now we don't use words like splendor very often, do we? That maybe we do with food. That's splendous. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to splendor. Um, it's not our everyday vocabulary. But when you get the word behind it in Hebrew, it's it, it, it's the word neshak, uh, and um, it can be translated as strength or existence. So reread it this way. I cry out, my strength is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. I cry out, my existence is gone. I'm wasting away. The me I know is not here to be found. The real me is no more. I'm not just at the end of myself. I'm at the end of self-reliance. By the way, this verse is very interesting because not only is he at the end of his self, he's at the end of faith and hope in God. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Have you ever been there? been at a loss of faith. I can tell you I have. Now, what's really interesting is up until now, for two and a half chapters, the writer of Lamentations has referenced the Lord, has referenced God, but not by the name of God, but names about God. This is the very first time, so verse 18 is the very first time in two and a half chapters, and if you're reading in a a physical Bible, you'll see that it's a capital L, small capital O, small capital R, small capital D. It's the very first time in Lamentations that God is referred to by name, the name Yahweh, which gets all capitalized in your Bible. So the poet has spent time alluding to all that is wrong with life and the world. He's expressed or she has expressed the disappointment, despair, sadness, and frustration. She's compared the imagery to being buried alive, to eating their own flesh and blood to stay alive. We're talking about real despair and hopelessness with not a lot of resolution or direction, and finally, a loss of personal strength to figure it out, and a crisis of faith in God. I find this really interesting because it's when we finally get to the end of ourselves our ability, our energy, our trying. That's the point where we're finally empty enough of pride and fear and everything else that God restores, that God begins healing, that God reminds of the promise. This is where the tone finally changes. We have to go through all of the sadness, the crisis to get real, to find God's lasting joy and restoration in our lives. John Wesley said it this way. He said, as long as you can feel your own weakness and your own hopelessness, you will find help from above. Isn't that a great promise? As long as you can feel your own weakness and your own helplessness, you will find help from above. So, the tone changes. Verse 19, though the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve my loss. It's not making light of it. It's real. I'll never forget it, right? Verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him and to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly, for salvation from the Lord. Not just an eternal salvation some other time in some other place, right, after you're dead. It's salvation in the present, in this life, right here, right now. And our lament should always turn to prayer. And prayer accesses this long-term memory of what God has done in our lives, and in our world, and throughout the story that we find ourselves in. Verse 25 is a great promise. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. Verse 25 says, you don't even have to have all the answers. You You just search for God, and He brings salvation. You just take a step of faith and he begins the restoration and the healing. This is a beautiful mystery of faith. Not that we've all figured it out, not that we've solved all the problems, not that we can do it on our own strength, but just daring to have hope that as we know tomorrow will happen, there will be a sunrise. The mercies of God will meet each and every sadness, brokenness, despair, each and every challenge that needs healing and presence and restoration, new mercies to meet new issues every 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 day, every day, every day, every day, every day. You see, This long-term memory goes all the way back to Exodus 34, verse 6, where as they're coming out of slavery, they sing a song, and it says basically that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercy never ends. Which, by the way, that verse that we quoted where God was talking to David about the rod, That was going to get him. The very next verse, when you go back to that, the very next verse says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And God's steadfast love, that word is the word hesed. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, hesed. Hesed. It is the preeminent understanding in the Old Testament of the nature of God. Unfailing, unwavering, faithful love. Sometimes you'll see it translated blessed kindness. Sometimes you'll see faithful and full of mercy. Because how can you describe the grace and goodness of God with just one word? Well, the word hesed is like an all-in-cups. It's God's goodness, it's his love, it's his mercy, it's his joy. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, he says, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So when the poet of Lamentations says, the Lord is my inheritance, I will hope in him. It's like saying if we just have God, we have enough. By the way, that doesn't mean just have everything figured out or all the doctrines right, it's saying, if I just search for God, God's presence would be enough to change everything. We get tempted to know or to think that we know better and can do it on our own, but we need God. We need God's Spirit to move within us. So, here's the truth we ultimately get reminded of. Verse 31 says this, No one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Verse 32 though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. We get to rest in a hopeful promise. The challenge is do you trust it? Do you dare to hope this morning? I want us to take some steps as the band's going to come back up and and play for us. I want you to look at verse 40 of chapter 3 in Lamentations. It says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. I think that's our... Heartbreak. That's our cry out for healing, a longing for God's presence. We're going to dare to hope because we're going to test our own hearts. That's where it starts. Our brokenness comes from all kinds of places, right? And the God who sees our plight and our condition, whether it is what someone else did, Or someone, something we did, or something no one did, we're gonna look at it and say, okay, God, where can you step in? Where can you step in out there, and where can you step in right here in this heart, in this? life we're going to examine the issues our brokenness our sin and we're going to see it as the opportunity to dare to hope for a different reality for god to step in for god to use the community around us to bring about a better world here's one where we can dare to help dare to hope for god's supernatural healing I believe this morning that there are deep wounds that we face. What if the God of the universe wants to restore and heal those deep wounds? See, sometimes they're psychological, they're relational, and sometimes they're physical diagnoses that we need healing for, and sometimes they're spiritual. We know we're broken and disconnected from God, and we need God's presence and healing in our lives. Here's what's promised at the end of chapter 3. Listen to this. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. You heard me when I cried that, and Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life, today, that's what we're going to get to do. We're going to dare to hope. Maybe you feel like you've made a total mess of your life. There are times when I definitely feel like I have, and I need to lament that. I need to get it out there. I need healing and restoration. Maybe you're facing a diagnosis where if you don't get some supernatural healing by God's presence in your life, you don't know where you're going to turn or what you're going to do. You're at the end of yourself and you're at a crisis of faith. Maybe you just need some peace. I don't know what you're lamenting this morning, but I do know that God hears the cry and redeems life. So, no matter what your plight, God sees it, He hears it, and He does not ignore it. In fact, so much so, so much so that He wanted to get His hesed, His unwavering, loving kindness, all the way to each and every one of us. Notice over here on the side, we have two different stations for communion. And when Jesus came, he sat down with his disciples, knowing that he was going to be betrayed. And speaking as the voice of God, he said, This is a brand new covenant. A covenant of my everlasting love for you. That my body would be broken, that my blood would be shed. That's kind of a lament, isn't it? This is broke. But the fact that we're eating together, the fact that we're at the table together, means my love and kindness will always be drawing you in, always be accepting you, always be hearing and seeing your plight and the resounding answers that my love covers it all. It may not make sense, it may not fit perfectly on the doctrine wall of whatever you want to believe. But this is the reality that we face, that when we come to the end of ourselves, we collapse completely on the loving faithfulness of Christ.